0: Previously on the Jay and Dan Podcast. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can perform in front of the camera. I can play hide and seek. <laughs> I could start a YouTube, YouTube channel. YouTube. <laughs> you should start YouTube. Because
1: mm-hmm. if I want to play in the A-hole. Oh.
2: <laughs> he had another side. Like the, oh, there. Uh, oh, Can uh, we get uh,
1: Oh, oh. Mm-hmm.
2: Or he does his first touchdown call and he's like, Wait, wait.
0: Wait, what?
2: Mm -hmm. I do highlights of an NHL game, and some guy will show up in the highlight pack, and I'll say it. I'm like, who the hell is this
1: guy? (laughs) (laughs) Producer Jimmy like,
3: he's been in the league for three years.
1: Mm -hmm. You don't know Frankie Maragano? You're uh, not familiar with Andre
0: Falkakichvath? Everyone was like at swimming lessons or whatever. He's like, he's got no pubes.
2: He's bald. And I was like, I'm bald. Out there too. Wait, what kind of testicle is this? Mm-hmm. What was your response to like? Oh, what a loser! Oh yeah, big
0: time. <laughs> Half my adolescence. is like, Oh yeah, that guy. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm all uh, chestnutty brown in the pub area. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's dude. <laughs> You're listening to the Jay and Dan podcast. Brought to you by youtube.net.
2: Almost done. April, <laughs> you okay? <Yeah. laughs> I'm I'm gonna be really flummy. Oh boy! Because I had my standard uh, Mr. Sub Sub on a Monday, followed by a big 500 mil chocolate, chocolate milk. milk. I knew it. Like
0: a nice chocolate milk to wash down that uh, 12 inches sorted.
2: Now
0: I got the spicy chicken.
2: <laughs> um, I think it's drop. standard, right? Everyone gets chocolate milk with the sub, right? I,
0: I never have done that. I like <laughs> chocolate milk, but that's not my uh, standard order. I haven't been to Mr. Sub in a long time. You're missing out. How many Mr. Subs are left? Like oh, tons. There's actually a lot.
2: <laughs> yeah, where? They ain't downtown. You should go over to the one here by work.
0: No, I've been. Prim, right? The, yep. He's the but they've renovated, it,
2: and so they have a new mural in there. Ooh. A street-
0: just a bunch of meats.
2: A street shot of their first ever location, which was in Yorkville in the 60s. Oh, cool. And every person in the picture, like it's a busy street. It's black and white. Everyone's a pimp or the coolest guy I've ever seen. I can't, I can't tell.
0: Yorkville in the 60s, because Yorkville now, for those who don't know Toronto, is like the swanky shopping district mm-hmm. with all the high-end stores. But in the 60s, it was like the hippie area. Where the
2: flower children were. A lot of leather jackets and big lapels. Yeah, I like that. They're all just hanging out in front of Mr. Sob. Ah, hey guys who wants to...
0: Hey man, peace and love, brother. Let's go get a six-inch meatball in my after dropping some acid.
2: And you gotta get that chocolate milk. Oh, you ain't had that <laughs> man?
0: It's everywhere. It's groovy, man. It's a trip. It's milk, and they add chocolate to it. Oh, yeah, brother. <laughs> That's what was going on in the 60s in Toronto.
2: There's was a big subculture.
0: <laughs> yeah, I haven't been to that Mr. Sub, but that Mr. Sub has fed a lot of TSN people over the years, for sure. Right across the street, prim, running the show. And he's Huge. also the guy who kind of has the, uh, the 411 on the the rest of the businesses in the in the mini mall across the uh, street from uh, CTV mm-hmm. here. And uh, he has the 411 on Local 44, <laughs> which is a restaurant we have been quietly fascinated by yes. since we returned from California. Because, uh, well, what did it start as? What was it? There, it, it, so was it was a, was a Montana's. Uh, Montana's. It was a Montana's. That went out of business. And then some guys went in there.
2: And they made it into a, a King's Head or a? King, what what they called stuff? It was a pub at some point. I'm not a hundred percent sure. King's Head, I think. King's Head
0: Looked that up. And then that went under, and then it closed for a while, and then it became Local 44, and then that closed. But the back open, and now it's open again as Local 44. Bottom line, that is a front for money laundering, <laughs> for sure. But you actually
2: went there. I Went there once. And uh, that was pretty yeah, exciting I, I, experience. I discussed it on the podcast. I said the, the lighting. That's right. Too uh, not good. Too bright. Fluorescent bulbs.
0: Oh yeah, you can't have that. You can't have that. At local forty four. Bottom line is, you want to come out for a night on the town. You come straight to downtown Scarborough. You go to local forty four, and afterward you get dessert at Mister Sub. <laughs> a five hundred mil chocolate milk.
2: And now they got cookies. They got uh, freshly baked. Yeah. And if you go in there at the right time, and they're about to close up, we will give them to you for free. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Prim right now is like, <laughs> f-, f*** you, <laughs> man. <laughs> f-
2: <laughs> f- you.
0: Next thing you know, there's a lineup at like 8.59 p.m. every night at Mr. Sub. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there used to be a Bible shop over there. Now the, it's a yoga, hot yoga or something. We thought it was going to be a weed store, but no, it's, well, they, it was- they went from the Lord to yoga.
0: It was slated to be a weed store, right, in the then, Kathleen Wynne government, and then Doug Ford came in and said, hey, let's
2: privatize it all, which is the one thing Doug Ford has done that I'm really happy about. But they had no plan in place. Everything yeah. was all set up, and now it's, yeah. like, there's two stores open in all of Ontario. Two, two legal stores or something. I think, do they have some legal ones in Brampton, home of
0: producer Tim? Tim's prob- I believe there's one open in Brampton right uh, now. Oh, Tim's probably working behind the counter during the day. It would be a fun job. I would love it. I mean, your, whole, your clothes would really stink of weed after a while. you wear
2: a, just a black shirt, black pants every day. Same outfit. Just leave it at the weed shop, mm-hmm. change into it like Mr. Rogers. <laughs> I'd
0: wear... Yeah, what would I wear if I worked at a weed shop? I'd wear a suit. I'd have one suit, and I'd wear it. I'd be like the guy behind the desk at the Continental and the John
2: Wick movies.
0: i That's what I would
2: wear. <laughs> no, you go take I'd a picture. i wear a suit as a weed guy. Take a picture of the guys who are hanging out in front of the Mr. Sub. You dress like them. You're selling a lot of weed. I think,
0: regardless, no one's coming into the weed shop and saying, ooh, I don't like the way that guy's dressed. <laughs> one thing I remember... Uh, Hearing from a friend who used to frequent the weed shops in California, <coughs> is that they deliberately would staff those weed shops with cute girls right. because the premise was that they would put people at ease, sort of like, you know, that people who maybe hadn't been to one before and were maybe a bit intimidated or whatever. And they're like, a girl's talking to me? What? Yes, I'd like a jazz cigarette. <laughs> One, please. To go with my sub and
2: milk that <laughs> I purchased. This guy's English for some reason. Speaking of weed, so I mentioned how before how I'm going to Amsterdam this summer. Yeah. Uh, guess who I spoke with on Saturday to make a confirmation that they were going to be there? Jim Pearl. In our fact, former I'm champ. So Should Abby. we
0: call him right now? Let's
2: call him right now. Let's talk about it.
0: Sure. Stop, can we do that? Sure. Let's give him
2: a quick call. And you know why I did call him? Because um, me and a lady friend were uh, talking about, well, if we're getting tickets to museums and stuff, should we get a third ticket? You don't know want to leave him out. And he says, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll He's pay in. You. I'll pay you back. And I said, I got a strict one museum a day
0: rule. I don't even think you're going to make it to that. In but they time. called me.
2: That's the why they call me One Museum O'Toole.
0: They call you uh, One Gallery O'Toole.
2: <laughs> he dreams at last time.
0: He's going to be doing more than that. It's going to be fun. Oh, man, I'm so jealous. You guys are going to have so much fun. I don't think you're going to leave. You're Because you're going there first and then uh, Paris after, right? Correct. And then Zurich. And
2: I hope you uh, don't prepay for that Paris hotel. <laughs> I've I've already got a a Zurich hookup. Danny Hodgson, former Leaf. uh, I know him from Fort McMurray. I went to the Leaf game, actually, with him on uh, Sunday. Oh, name dropper. No, we've known each other for, what, 20 years? And he played in Zurich for five years. He's like, you want anything in Zurich? It's yours. I'm like, what? He goes, they'll pick you up. at the. He goes, I thought I knew Zurich until I met these guys, and they hooked me up in Zurich. So, uh, Look who just wandered
0: awesome. into the studio. This is Dave so exciting. Poulin. This is our guest for the podcast. It's Dave
4: Poulin. Have you ever been to Zurich? That is one of the few places I have not been in Europe. You yeah. played in Europe. Where did you play in Europe, Dave? Sweden.
0: Sweden? Yeah. Oh, How was that? Man. That must have been fun.
4: Um, totally different. So I graduated from college, and I was going to work for Procter & Gamble in international sales. What? That was my gig. Out out of Notre Dame. Out of Notre Dame. Into Procter & Gamble. Boom. Good job. My senior year in about December, had a great job offer, international sales. That sounds fantastic. Yes. It was 1982. It was starting at 32000 company car, the whole bit. Yeah, Yeah. pension, everything. Yeah, it's big. Wow. And then I graduated, and in June, I got a call um, of someone I didn't know. He was a... A coach who coached college and he was coaching over there. And he said, word has it, you're not going to play pro. I'd love you to, I coach in Sweden. I'd love you to come and play huh. for a year. And
0: so, so I called
4: Procter d- & Gamble and said, international sales. What if I lived in Europe for a year? They said, that would be great. And uh, I went over and lit it up, but played division one, not elite series. So this next series down. And so, wait, did you, were you working f- still for no, Gamble? No, 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 no. Just no, no. put I said, it off. I said, will come of. in a year, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Put
0: it off for, any, for a year. And they
4: said, well, you're going to live in Europe. That's great for somebody we want in international sales. Yeah. 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 Makes total sense. That's wild. Yeah. And it was just that final piece of individual development that I didn't have. And I got over there, and right from day one, lit it up. And my coach was also scouting for the Flyers in Sweden. Ah, okay. So each month, he was sending my name back as one of the Watch this guy.
0: Yeah. And so how did
4: how did it all come together at the end of that season? Oh, even more bizarrely. So I came back in late February when the season was over. We had a really good year. I went and right to Portland, Maine, the American Hockey League. I played sixteen games there. And the first game I had Dave Brown on my right. Oh, so tough. And Mel Hewitt on my left. Now you'd have to hockey D B Mel Hewitt to know that he had 540 minutes in penalties one year, I believe, in the International League. And Dave Brown on my right. Dave Brown might have been one of the toughest was, players of all time. So you were safe. Well, I was pretty safe. <laughs> Cruised yes. around, played a half a dozen shifts in New Haven, Connecticut, and thought, wow, well, this is no big deal. I'd get the puck, everybody would go the other way. And then the second night in Hershey on the Saturday night, uh, one of our top centermen got hurt. And that was the break. Wow. And I played... 16 games in Portland got called up on April Fool's Day. That's and Did you think it was a joke? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a Friday morning, April Fool's Day. We were in Duffy's Pancake House in Portland, Maine, and we were all having breakfast. We were heading to New Haven for a game that night. And Duffy came, comes over and says, Keith Allen's on the phone, general manager of the Flyers. And you're like, Yeah, come yeah, on. Of course <laughs> he is. <laughs> of course he is. And so I. Uh, I went and he said, yeah, we want you to play tomorrow night in Toronto. And, but we want you to play tonight in New Haven. So I took the bus from Portland, Maine, to New Haven. Oh, my God. <laughs> played that night and had my stick, like, here, don't come near me. I'm going to the NHL tomorrow. Yeah. And flew into Toronto, but I'd never been to a training camp. And so I didn't know one single player on the team. And got to Maple Leaf Gardens, missed the morning skate. Walked in the front door of Maple Leaf Gardens with my hockey bag and said, (laughs) That's
0: amazing! I'm here to play! That is amazing! (laughs) Crazy. And, like, were you just like, who do I talk to? Like, when you walked in the front door? (laughs) Who
4: do I talk to? Where do I go? Where's the locker room? That is crazy! Who can help me? And I went back to the team meal, and there were about a half a dozen guys straggling at the team meal. And one of them was Daryl Sittler, who'd been traded, of course, to the Flyers. And, um... So I went to my room. My roommate in the veteran NHL days didn't come back to the room that afternoon. I had no idea what he had going on. <laughs> <laughs>
0: he was enjoying
4: Toronto. Yeah, that. so he was the backup goalie. Uh, we have lost him now. Bunny Larocque. Right, right. Michelle Bunny Larocque. So he never did show up. So now I don't even know what time the bus is leaving.
0: <laughs> oh, my God. I don't know anything. Where were you guys staying at that time? Um, were, the
4: Hotel you? Toronto, the old Hotel Toronto. It was a. It's still there, right? It's um, something else now. A Hilton, maybe? Right, right. Right, right, pl- right, right by on City Hall. Carleton? Not right. by City Hall, but on, by um, like University. Yeah. There's a uh, Ruth Chris Stakos in it now. Oh, that oh, yeah, is that's a, a Hilton. Hilton. That's yeah. a Hilton. Yeah. 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 So
2: nowadays, if someone gets called up, Someone is there to greet you every. They, they hold your hand picks right up at the airport. Yes. Yeah, yeah, they tell you, you would, what's oh, going on. You
4: don't get to the front door and make <laughs> a card with your stick. I just love hand. you
0: in the bag over your shoulder. Oh wife, yeah, this old school. Yeah. That's amazing.
4: Yeah. And then you call home and say, "Hey, Dad, um, i You know, I've got two tickets for you for the game." It's like what? You're, you're playing in the NHL? <laughs> like it's crazy. And mm-hmm. did
0: you? Because was were your po- folks in Timmins? Is no, that they were right? here. Oh, they were in Toronto. I had grown okay. up in the West End. Okay, you know, okay. So Timmins. So. And they came with that must have it's been crazy. just crazy. Absolutely crazy.
4: Insane. And now, you know, warm-up, you're skating around a warm-up, and your feet aren't even touching the ice. Yeah. You're like in dream. In room. Maple Leaf Gardens, you're an Ontario boy. Yeah. This is your debut. Crazy. And, uh, and then we had a coach, Bob McCammon, a legendary coach, who loved to talk to the people, and there was no glass behind the bench, right? They, so we could just have a conversation <laughs> with the people. So he's, I'm sitting there, you know, during the national anthem. He's Yeah, i would call this kid up and say, uh, uh, Figure out if you can play. He's telling everybody behind the bench. <laughs> he's doing commentary. Amazing. And we, of course, were the end of the Broad Street Bullies. So we take a penalty the first five seconds of the game. So he says, Go ahead, kid, see if you can play. Can you kill penalties? Go ahead. So my first shift in the NHL is killing penalties. You're penalty killing. Yeah, all the sophisticated science of scouting. Amazing. And, um, and you know, killed 30 seconds of the penalties, came back to the bench. And then, with about three minutes into the game, Daryl Sittler stepped on the ice for the first time. And it was actually his second game back in Toronto. Right. So the crowd, just the buzz and yeah. roar. Mm-hmm. And he did a little turn up inside the blue line. And I came down the middle and he put it on my tape and I went underneath crossbar. Amazing. What? So my first goal three minutes in. Wow. Oh my God. From That's Sittler, who was my boyhood. That is unreal. Yeah, do you still have that puck? I do. It's wow. one of the few things, like I don't, ha- I don't keep a lot of stuff or have a lot of stuff, but I do have that puck did you, was who took you under their wing that you Bob Clark was crazily there. enough um Sitler at first and uh and Bob Clark eventually yeah. once it was a little Did
0: bit you have to earn, it, to earn it with it. him?
4: Yeah, he didn't I don't think he sit that was a weird story I'll get into that but to close up on Sitler um I scored a shorty in the second period so I had two goals in my first game up. yeah <laughs> But no one knows me or anything so I we're, we're, we get on the team plane. First of all, you get on the bus, you don't know where to sit. Yeah. Now you get on the plane, you don't know kind of where to go. So I saw there was a seat across from Sitler. We were chartering back after the game because we played the next night. And so I sat down beside him, and I figured, well, I might as well tell him right now, right? I said, so, um, Daryl. I, I grew up in Mississauga. And he's like, oh, okay. I said, yeah. You Remember when you beat the Islanders in 77? He's like, yeah. I said, well, So my buddies and I were watching the game, and we were in 12th grade, and we said, well, let's go to the airport, and we'll greet Mm -hmm. the team. So we get up there, and there was like 10,000 people at the airport, and we said, okay, this isn't going to work. So I said, well, I know where Sittler lives. He lives in Lauren Park, so we'll go to his house. (laughs) So I'm telling him this story on the plane, and so we went to your house. He goes... You Were the kids on the front lawn <laughs> sitting on the case of beer? I said, Yeah, we were. He goes, I remember you kids, you were the only ones there. <laughs> so the whole team went back to his house, that's so, funny. and we were there to greet them all, of course. And he was laughing about it. He was, that's amazing. Was, yeah. So then, in the weird world we live in, and then he sets you up for your first goal. Yeah, and the crazy. world, you know, the next night we beat the Islanders and they're in the middle of their cups, and now we're going in the playoffs. And we're speaking of playoffs this year, we're 45 points or something ahead of the Rangers. And they upset us and swept us. They swept us rather in the first round. Uh, similar to what happened this year, all mm-hmm, across the board. Right. And in my in my last game, you know, everybody's saying college kid. I was the only college kid in the team. College kid, you know, it's not going to be tough enough. So there's about it was late second period, and everybody said, if you ever get to the NHL, fight in your first game or fight early so everybody knows you'll fight. So. Guy on the other team waxed me, so I turn around two-hand him. and This is still the first game? This is the, now the fifth game. Oh, fifth We're going to lose to the Rangers and get knocked out of the playoffs. It's three out of five. Right. And so I figured, well, I might as well get this out of the way right now. And my agent says, I'm in the crowd, and I see you're dropping your gloves, and I see who you're dropping your gloves with. And I'm saying, no, <laughs> no, what are you doing? He said, and then you started to fight. And I thought, holy Jesus, this kid can fight. This kid can actually fight. And he said, you're doing pretty good. And then he hit you. <laughs> <laughs> and he cut me for like 55 stitches over the eye and let up. It was Ron Duguay.
2: Ron, Ron Duguay. Duguay?
4: Didn't know Ron Duguay was from Sudbury. Didn't know he was tough. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Ron
0: and Duguay, so, you know. What a
4: salad that guy had. Yeah. yeah. Well,
0: now. He still, still does. He still looks.
3: He doesn't have
4: an age. Still got the game. Yeah. yeah. He really does. So it was, wow, it was very Bizarred. So then they said, okay, now we're going to send you back to Portland because we're done. You know, I've got an eye that's closed. I've got, and I'm like, "Ah, oh, I just got to the NHL. So I'm packed up the next day and I'm going back to Portland. And they call me Monday morning and said, we can't send you down because you signed your first contract after a certain date. Mm. So now, you know, I had gotten married right out of college, been to Europe, um, come back, played 16 games in the American League. W- w- what do you do? Played five games in the NHL. Where do you go? You take that international sales gig. You yeah. have no idea. And I, and I had a contract with the Flyers, a new contract. And so I said, i got to buy a car. So I said to somebody in the office, you know, I, I have to buy a car. Can someone help me? And they said, what kind of car do you want? So I told them. They said, okay, Bob Clark n- knows a dealer, so call him. So I'm like, man, he really didn't say like two words to me <laughs> during those five games. <laughs> Is he going to know who I am if yeah. I call him? And so... Uh, I called him. He said, I'll meet you at the dealership on Tuesday night. He walked in the dealership. He said, turn the card over. He's, playing, he's paying wholesale. Um, you know, and I had to sign a bank note. He said, don't worry about it. He's good for it. <laughs> <laughs> like for no reason. Right. For wow. no reason. And he said, what do you do in the summer? And I said, Mr. Clark, I'm, I have no idea. No idea. It's been a chaotic last eight or nine months. I graduated from college. You know, He said, stay here in the summer and work out with me. Nice. And you were looking, I'm like, really? He said, yeah, I'll have the realtor estate call you. You can sublet one of the guy's condos who's going home and, uh, and stay here. Wow. And it, it started quite a friendship and quite a mentorship. And it worked both ways because here I was getting a Hall of Famer to mentor me. And he said, but here's the deal. You know, we, we work out at 7 in the morning, 6 days a week. And you never miss a workout because I'm your workout partner. And... He was also looking for someone because no one would train with him. And here was a full-blown diabetic who was a Hall of Famer who was way ahead of his time working out. Yeah, because most players back then didn't have that workout routine. And Dan, he was two and a half hours a day, six days a week. Wow. And Monday through Friday, we ran five miles at the end, and Saturday, we ran eight miles.
3: Jeez.
4: And so I, I did exactly what he asked me to do and my wife actually went and got a job right away she had something going on and in, in working because she had graduated a couple years ahead of me and had worked in the hotel industry and um and bobby clark became my closest friend and my mentor
2: that is great did anyone else work out on the team
4: i lapped a guy eight times <laughs> in a two mile run in training camp and i am not exaggerating in an eight lap two mile run yeah, I lapped a guy eight times. Like, when did it so start to It was change? just starting. It was starting. It was just starting. Yeah. Because
2: guys now, they take maybe a month off. Maybe, yeah. if yeah. that. And then
4: they're right back at it. It was about the end of the era where you came to camp to get in shape. Right. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it was a moteliest looking crew on this two-mile motel- <laughs> <one>, run. <laughs> like one guy strengths. strategy. The guy I lapped wasn't the slowest, because one of our players' strategies was to walk a lap, run a lap. Walk a lap, run a lap. Because <laughs> all summer, that's the fastest he had completed uh, it with that strategy. <laughs>
0: um, I'm just taking to take in a totally other direction. When, how did they break it to you that you guys were
4: going to wear Cooperalls? How, how did that happen? I am in an esteemed club that wore them three times. So my, so, my junior college, we got them at Christmas at Notre Dame. Because Notre Dame was so high profile, and in Cooperall wanted to show them off. Right. So uh, so I wore them there, I wore them in Portland, Maine, and I wore them in the NHL.
0: And did they Yeah, cuz
4: like it was just,
0: <laughs> cause only you guys in the Whalers, right. right? And cuz I remember I was playing minor hockey at the time,
4: everyone wore Cooperalls. Yeah, like right.
0: it was just sort of assumed that this is what we were it, going with. Was the with direction now.
4: everybody was going in.
0: And I I understand that it kind of stopped because there was a concern that
4: the the pant, like they wouldn't be able to match them up with the uniforms or something? No. the reason they stopped was because when you hit the ice, you slide. slide. You couldn't stop. Yeah. There was no friction, no. Right. And (laughs) and they were hot. Yeah. They were really hot. And guys liked two pieces. And what did stay was the form fitting pant that you wore under it because that's basically what today's pant is. Um, So you and and Ferrari both. Yeah. them. Ray and I yeah. both wore them. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, they were going to be That's style, right? Yeah, yeah I mean, e- was
2: be everyone it. was wearing <laughs> <Yeah>. coveralls. <Yeah. laughs> yeah. yeah. those, those in the XL7s, <laughs> <laughs> the, the helmets. XL7s. Remember those?
4: Remember them. <laughs> I, that was me. <laughs> yeah. That was
2: me.
0: Um, we talked to you about this, but you played with Pelly Lindbergh. I did. And um, just for those who don't know, uh, just an incredible goaltender. Died at the age of 26. Uh, terrible, tragic accident. Um, Driving under the influence. Uh, just to, it, what was your impression of him, and and, uh, and where do you think he would have gone had that accident? Yeah, that's it. It's very
4: interesting as to where he would have gone. He didn't have a great work ethic, and he was a terrible practice goalie. And he was getting to a point like his talent was so incredible. And when I came in, the connection of me having played in Sweden, you know, I, I was always had a thought process for guys who came to our country because I went to their country, right? and I knew how hard it was. And so I always was very respectful of how hard it was. And Pelle was firmly established, and so the year before he had won the Vezina, he was first-team All-Star, his skill level was incredible. He taught us how to win. Like, we were a really young team, and we'd go into a game, we'd win two ones, and we we're, we're really good. No, we weren't. We had the best goalie in the world. Never. And that night... Um, Was what you did then. We won our 10th game in a row, maybe, in November. And uh, November 10th, and um, it was a Saturday night, and you went out after the game. And then you went home, you went out with your families or whatever, and you went home and dropped them off, and then you went out with the guys. Yeah. So we were at an after-hours club. And yes, he was drinking, but he'd actually had a Mercedes sedan at the game. He didn't play that night. And then went home and got the Porsche Rocket Turbo between And so this car was illegal in the States Had no pollution controls, no door guards. It was a rocket ship. Mm -hmm. And he promised them he wouldn't bring it over because they couldn't sell it over here. So they don't want people to see it because they can't sell it over here. And he shipped it over in a crate and drove like an absolute maniac. And that was the, yes, it was drinking under the influence, but the, the absolute tragedy of it was he drove like a maniac. Like that's how he drove. Mm -hmm. And he lived life like that. Like he did, you know, he, he told me a story about buying a boat in, in Stockholm. You're a series of islands, so if you have a boat in the summer, it's like having a car. So he went to buy a boat, and he bought the boat, and he got on the boat with, with the guy, and the guy says, okay, you're all set? And he goes, hmm, maybe not quite. And he said, well, have you ever, you know what you're doing, right? You know how to drive a boat, right? And he said, yeah. He said, is this your first boat? He said, yeah, it's my first boat. It was a 36-footer, like a yacht. Yeah. And he had no idea. He's in a slip in a marina in Stockholm. With no, but that was Pelly, right? Yeah. You don't get a boat. You get a 36-foot yacht. Yeah. Like, why would you get a boat? Amazing. So the night that it happens,
2: how do they break that news to you? Do they call you guys that night? Do you find out the next day when you show up at the rink? Do you hear
4: it on the news? No, I, I broke the news. So I was at the club with him. And I walked out with a gentleman that I still keep in contact with. The two of us were walking out with Pelly. Pelly had two people with him. And there were three people in that car. And he was the only one that was killed. And so that car went one way. I went the other way. And it was 5.30 in the morning. And two of our players lived right around the corner from this club. And three people had followed Pele and saw the accident. And they knew where our two players lived. So they immediately, when they saw the accident, they circled back to where the players lived and said, one of your teammates was in an accident so that player went to the site and already the police were there and everything and he went home and called me Hmm. and I was a captain and so that was how I found out and then I immediately called Bob Clark who was out of town and then I called Mike Keenan and we had a friend on the police force and so we found out where he was taken so I went and identified Hmm. and so now it's Seven thirty, eight o'clock on a Sunday morning, and I sat in the hospital and called teammates one by one, wow. and told them they had to come to the hospital. Mm. And you know, it's a lesson that I was twenty six years old that you learn, and it never leaves you. For and, sure. And you know, there's certainly there's days you don't think about it, but there's a lot of days when you do think about it. Mm-hmm. And then as you move on. In sports, in playing, in coaching, in managing, it's a story you tell to make others understand that you can learn from someone else's mistake. And that's how I always introduce it to my players at Notre Dame. I learned a huge lesson from someone else's mistake. Mm-hmm. You don't have to learn from your own mistake. And you know, in 10 years of coaching at Notre Dame, I never did have an incident. And, and I don't know whether that was a part of it or part of the, the lesson or part of the teaching or part of the, but.
2: Well, it's such a rare event. Like, you think back, you're like, how many times has that happened in NHL history where one guy dies
4: yeah. during the season? Yeah. Did you guys, what was the next week like? Because you didn't cancel any games, yeah. right? Uh, we didn't cancel any games. Our next game was Thursday night. So the first thing we did, we were all at my house all day Sunday. And it was Mike Keenan, arguably at the best I ever saw him at keeping the guys together and making guys talk and guys by nature. I mean, we're, you know, in our mid twenties, we're a really young team and we, uh, we'd been to the finals. We were, but you don't talk about things. Most of us had two grandparents Mm -hmm. and you don't emote or express well at that age. You know, you're an invincible athlete. You're cool. You, you know, you're rock stars. You, well, you're not going to open up to someone or talk to someone like that. And, uh, and he made us talk. And that's how it was. And the safest place for us was back at the rink. And then Tuesday night, late afternoon, Clarky called me and he said, you've got to do the eulogy tomorrow morning. Wow. And he said, I had to do it for a teammate of mine, Barry Ashby, who died of cancer when we played. And he said, you, you've got to do the eulogy. And, and I sat up that night. It was late. And I had this pad in front of me. I didn't have one single thing written on it, not one word. And then around 3 in the morning, I wrote the eulogy. Wow. Yeah. And I still have it. I actually have the handwritten copy of it. And uh, did it the next day. Couldn't look at a teammate. Like, could not yep. look yep. at a teammate. Yeah. Little Swedish church in, uh, in Philadelphia. And, and then Glenn Sather called and offered to postpone the game. The next game was against the Oilers. And, uh, and we felt, and he talked to us, and we felt the best thing was to do was play. Because it was the safest place for us to be. It was back sure. at the rink. Sure.
0: You you mentioned Mike. Like, how old was Mike when you played for him? It wasn't couldn't have been that old, really.
4: Mid thirties, thirty four, yeah. I think. Yeah, it's nuts. Yeah.
0: And um, what was your exp- you know over uh, oh, putting that was... aside? It it was because
2: players love him or hate him. There's no in between. There's no love.
0: <laughs> no, there was no love. <laughs> right. It wasn't. Right. Steve yeah.
4: Larmer, he always raves about him when it, Larmer talks about he him. raves about the product at the end of Mike Keenan and right. what Mike Keenan got out of the of. The talent Mm -hmm. That's what you rave about. Um, I was at a golf tournament, not a golf tournament, a little golf outing where one of our guys was getting married years later, and we were playing, and four of us in the foursome had played on that team and begrudgingly admitted, and one of them was Craig Bruby, and begrudgingly admitted that he got the most out of us and made us what we were. Hmm. But while you're going through it, miserable. Like, expect the unexpected. That was his mantra, right? So... Right now, he would try and create controversy between the three of us, and I'd say, well, I've only been here for about 15 minutes, but I think things are going okay. <laughs> and, you know, they're pretty relaxed, and it's going okay, and, you know, a little break between the intermission. And, but Mike would try and, you know, unite us against you to see if it was always something like that. Like and I was games. the captain for four years. Wow. And it was only my second year in the league. So it was always mind games. Did you
0: know what going in, like the reputation? No, No. he didn't have one. He had never
4: coached in the NHL. Right. And he'd coached for three years in the American League where he was under Scotty Bowman. Scotty was in Buffalo. He was in Rochester. But then to break the contract, he went back to the University of Toronto and then came right to the Flyers from University of Toronto.
0: And how far into your time with him were you like, oh, like this guy's a.
4: Uh, pretty immediately. Like, pretty much right away. Yeah. But we came roaring out of the gate, and we were so young, and, and you know, so first-year players on that team were Rick Tockett at 20, Peter Zazzle at 19, Derek Smith at 19. Just a bunch of kids. Yeah. You know, old guys were like 25. It's
0: so funny how many coaches have come from that team. point. You know, like Great you and, and Craig yeah. Berube yeah. and Rick Tockett. Yeah. It's
2: and interesting how that happened. Mike Babcock, he was never as bad as Keenan, but... He seems to have softened a bit in his, in his uh, older age. Because he you, looked like a tyrant at times. And I, he I think doesn't you have to with that these
4: players, Dan. I really do. I think it's a different gig. Yeah. I just do. I think you've got you've to manage the players more than you had to manage them then.
0: But do you think, um, like I was talking to someone about Barry Trotz yesterday, and I was saying, he seems like the kind of coach that everyone would love to play for for mm-hmm. their entire career because he systematically is obviously sound and solid and comes with this amazing reputation but also somehow seems like a players coach at the same time.
4: If you do what he wants him, you to do. Right. <laughs> That's the key. Right. Right? He's if he's in a position, he's going to win the battle. He's got the contract, right? He's going to And think of how many coaches didn't outlive Alex Ovechkin. Didn't yeah. Adam Oates, Dale Hunter. Yeah. I think of some good guys yeah. that went in there and had n- yeah. no chance with him. Yeah. So he's, I, I really like Trots. Trots was our minor league coach when I played in Washington. I've known him a long time and I really like him. I think he is that player's coach. But a player's coach, it's a fine line because if they think they can walk all over you, they're walking all over you. That doesn't, mm. there's no way that's going to work. Yeah. Speaking yeah. of uh, respected
2: coaches, How about what Blake Wheeler said about uh, Paul Maurice? Yeah, that's great. Said there's no other coach he wants to ever play for. That's great. And he seems like, Maurice seems like a genuine guy where you're like, okay,
4: yeah, I want to win for this guy. Yeah, yeah, he is. He's found that balance. Mm -hmm. You know, he respects the players, and I think coaches knowing the players and knowing the locker room is, it's so big right now. Like, I watched Montreal firsthand this year, and I did 35 of their games or something. And the change in their coaching staff, so Claude Julian and Kirk Muller stayed head and associate, and they brought in Dominic Ducharme and Luke Richardson. And Dom Ducharme had just coached Major Junior for a number of years, right? I think that was a factor. The dynamics of the group was so different. Mm. And it changed that locker room and it changed that team. And, um, you know, when I was with the Leafs and had to hire a Marley's coach, I brought Steve Spott in from Kitchener. Because I wanted someone who was just in touch with that age group. And they said Luke Richardson did a great job with that team too. Tremendous. He's the yeah. D coach and he did a great job with them. Really good. Really good.
0: What, uh, what was your impression of, of Winnipeg in the first round? Um,
4: Incredibly disappointing because yeah. I think they're, they're one of the teams that's really done everything right yeah. from the ownership on down. They've had stability in the GM and coaching position. They've drafted well. They've developed well. They've signed guys to good contracts. Um,
0: Get a little bit of luck, too. They have a bad season when Line A happens to be there for them yeah, at number might, two. You know? yes like it all no, just works out. He might you know? still
4: want his money, but... Um, they took a huge step forward, made the playoffs like four years ago, got swept by Anaheim, took a step back, yep. and said, We're going to keep doing this right. And Tampa, in many ways, is exactly the same. And they both lose in the first round. Yeah, it's crazy. you like, You know, it's really, really hard to win in this. League. That's <laughs> yes, the bottom it line. It is. And you got to get lucky, and you got to, I mean, so much has to happen. And uh, it just, and I don't think, you know, the Leafs. You don't know what's going to happen, but you don't feel they're quite as far along as the two teams we just talked about, Winnipeg and Tampa. But, hey, maybe their time comes earlier. Who knows? How do you wrap your, as a player, how do you wrap your head around the end of a season? Because
2: if I get beat up first round, I wake up the next day and say, we got to do that all over again. Yeah.
4: Yeah. It's, you know, I lived in the city I played in, and I think I had to suffer the pain of the loss more than guys that just... To Get the hell out. Yeah. yeah.
0: I think that's why, you know, people used to say, well, no one wants to... All these Ontario boys don't want to play in Toronto for that very reason yeah. you're talking yeah. about, right? The long history of not being successful. I'll
4: tell you what, when I lived in... Uh, when I lived in Boston and you were playing the Montreal Canadiens, if you lost to Montreal... You might not go pick up your dry cleaning for <laughs> three weeks. You might not uh, on your last city. shirt because yeah. you know the dry cleaner is just going to rip you when you go pick up your dry cleaning. Yeah,
0: You might have played in the two toughest sports towns huh. in right all of North there. America, they're Philadelphia right and Boston. Like the fans... Like, Philadelphia fans obviously come with a reputation that is...
4: I was nervous, and I played for the home team.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I have to ask you, so we love to do this word association thing where we uh, have a list of players that you played with, and you just have to say the first thing that comes to mind when we say it. And I always remember my dad, uh, when I was young, saying, uh, hey, uh, Poolin and Prop got traded to uh, to Boston. I always remember you guys being like... Two separate trades, though. So, Brian Prop, um, just 1st start with him.
4: <sighs> Boy, word association should come faster than this. <laughs> uh, it doesn't have to be one word, though. I just The like, yeah, yeah. unique guy. He's a unique guy. He's from a tiny town in Saskatchewan. And when I met him, he couldn't say hello when you walked in the locker room. He's that shy? That shy. Yeah. Like, you'd say, hey, proper. And he would look like. <laughs> and look down. and I'm, uh. it, he might be from, like, plenty Saskatchewan. And anyway, a tiny little town, and his dad was a preacher, and he went from that to never stopping talking, (laughs) to being on the radio, to being to running for local politics, to you know. So he probably swung full pendulum through that time. Uh, We we didn't we didn't hang a ton off the ice, but our relationship on the ice was we were like we moved and thought like one. And we were totally different. I mean, I was an undrafted free agent, he was a high first round pick who made it, you know, young and mm-hmm. and a big score. He was Eastern, I was Western. You know, it was a lot like Ray and I actually, because Ray and I, when, the first time Ray and I had dinner together, we're like, we're exactly the opposite. But we've somehow arrived at the same place in the way we look at a game. Yeah. He was offense, I was defense. He was east or he was west, I was east. He was major junior, I was college. Um, you know, he played for really bad teams, I played for really good teams. <laughs> I mean, almost exactly the opposite.
0: Um, I want to you mentioned uh, we talked about Pelly Lindbergh what about Ron Hextall yes
4: Um, calm quiet collected uh, until he got to the exact bandwidth that threw him here was his bandwidth okay this was his life down here calmest quietest person here was where he had to be to play if he was below it he wasn't any good if he was above it he was totally out of control
2: Totally. Yeah. When he goes after Chelios, <laughs> right. that
4: one instance, yeah. and his tongue is wagging. Yes.
2: That's an image that is forever
4: burned into yes. my brain. So I break my hand in that fight. It's the last game of the year. So I wore a cast for six weeks and didn't golf. A little sour myself on that. Um, walk in the locker room after all said and done, sitting in the corner, all quiet. I look at him, and he's got no gear because he left it all out in the ice. <laughs> and, um, and he's sitting in the corner like this. And I said what was that? Yeah. And he said, what? (laughs) And I said, what? You just had like total snappage out there. (laughs) And he looked and he said, Oh, Pooley, I just didn't want to shake his hand <laughs> <laughs> Well, you might have just skipped the spot in the lineup Then You didn't yeah. have to cause, you know.
0: <laughs> uh, speaking of scrappers, we heard from this guy this week because he said he's a fan of our show. So uh, Chris Nyland, he played with Chris Nyland. I did.
4: I did. I played with him and against him. Oh man! And the first time against him, I was lined up the left wing position. He was right wing, our end to the right of our goalie. So I had to go out to the point punched me as hard as he could oh, no. right in the face the puck drop punched me as hard as he could so the play ends and i'm i'm reeling and he skates by and goes hey kid i can't let you just go out to the point there because the coach would get really mad at me so i, I can't just let you go out there you got you got to be ready for that and i was ready for the next 13 years right every a good face life, life lesson I took, that is a pretty every face good off life I took, lesson it was like okay, I guess you can't let me go out there because it's your job. To, but you know, maybe like, step in front of me. You don't have to punch me in the face. He had, he had a bit of skill, too. He did. I played with him and against him. He was a great mm-hmm. teammate. I played with him in Boston. Great teammate. And you also mentioned uh, Dale Hunter earlier. I'd love to yeah. know your... Dale Hunter was really quiet. Uh, again, arguably the easiest player I played with. Out of all I played with really good players because when you were in trouble, he was 10 feet away. He supported the puck as well as any player I ever played with. He was a really good player. Yeah. Really good. Underrated, I would say. I it's, I
0: loved when he went to the NHL and wore the same suit and tie, and tie every single day.
4: Well, he had a road suit. So that was, there was 41 games or 42. <laughs> I games. just
0: love guys like
4: yeah, that. Guys had road jackets back then. <laughs> a road jacket. It was kind of a great tweed jacket. You know, it's, it's your road jacket. Who's
2: um, the best goalie ever played with or against? Uh,
4: exclude Pelly Lindbergh because okay, we already so discussed him. With. Um, Probably Hexy in '87, I would say, and I played with three different Vesna winners: Hexy, um Pelly, and Jim Carey. Jim Ace Carey, right, Washington. Right, two, mm-hmm. Did played you Played with two Vesnas. One. Was out of and the then league. he, he was forgot out of the league too quick to win yeah. Too. yeah, then
2: he forgot how to stop the buck.
4: Yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah. You, also, you played with Olaf Kolzig. Played with Colzey. Right? Ko- played with Andy Moog. Who was I was tremendous.
2: just we wanted to
0: ask
4: you about Andy. Andy the Moog Moger was great. What, uh,
0: did so his neck hit the
4: crossbar? Is that he's, he's so, like, so small? <laughs> he's pretty <laughs> tiny. Not Darren Pang t- tiny, but tiny.
0: Was he uh, he seems like he would
4: have been quiet. He was a uh, real, real, excellent troublemaker. Like <laughs> great, great troublemaker. Like uh, Trouble, trouble, troublemaker. <laughs> um, he, uh, he could stir the pot with the best of them. His Christmas present uh, one year was, his gag gift was a goalie stick with a soup ladle on the end of it because he stirred the pot so bad. <laughs> and he really could. I hope we aren't keeping you, by the way. Uh, I might have to get going a little bit here. It's going okay. to get crazy. You can go. You, yeah, but
2: yeah. We're watching the Caps and... Yeah. Uh, the okay, Canes I'll one, Tied one, in the third. I'm asking you all
0: tough guys and goalies, but I have to. Ask, you mentioned again, Craig Berube, and uh, man, what, awesome! What a, what
2: a story!
4: Uh, great St. teammate. Uh, that job's his now, right? It Permanently, has it has to be. Has to be. He Unless looks, he's... he opts out, right? Okay. Yeah, because someone else might I mean, want. There are four or five jobs available right now. What if he opts out? When he was chirping at the Jets at the end of Game yeah. One,
0: I thought, I don't.
4: I don't think you guys should chirp at. As scary <laughs> and terrifying. individual he was, still now he was.
0: He still looks um, like great he could friend,
4: uh, supreme confidence right off the reserve Callahoo. and um, you know, and it, the, here's where you get into one of those philosophical situations where, if you were to call into our show right now, you'd call him Chief because that's what he goes by. Yeah. yeah. If you yeah. listen closely in St. Louis, if it's a public presser, the local beat writers will say, so Ch- Craig, what do you yeah. think? Like. Because it's not oh, political. Oh, yeah. No, but he I, goes with it. Yeah, and that's well, what he goes with.
0: And I, we've talked uh, about that, too. Yeah, it's-
4: great friend. Um, really, really, really confident. And surprised that he's a head coach because I'm not... I didn't think that he com- could communicate to that big of a group. Communication would be the question. But Rick Tocket, same thing. Both tremendous assistant coaches. And, but a head coach has different... Kind of responsibilities, corporate, you know, that kind of bigger thing. And both have done it really well. Like, I played a lot of golf with, with Chief, and Chief would tee off at Congressional in Washington, right? Where, you know, the presidents are it's as blue blood a golf course as you can possibly get. And he'd strut out to the first tee, and he had, he had the long hair going, and he looks like a movie <laughs> star with the high cheekbones, and, and he'd be an Ashworth from head to toe, and Pete would be looking like, who is this guy? He <laughs> looks like a movie star, but who is he? And he'd just stripe a two iron right down the middle off the first fairway. And there's, there's like a luncheon and so people would be looking and he'd spin the club and he'd say, Freddie, couples don't hit a two iron. <laughs> a real good friend and it's fun to see him do well. Okay. I, you tell me when you have to go. I'm going to Yeah, keep I think asking. this is a disputed goal. So I think I'm going to jump, guys. Okay, you uh, jump. I'll join you again at any this time. This is a pleasure. Cool. Yeah, this, this is, is a, great. This We're is only so one great. year into my career.
0: I know. <laughs> I have all these other these other names. Thanks, buddy. We'll bring you back last we'll week. Anytime. The place. Thanks, Good Dave. Time. Really appreciate it. Jay. Dave Poolin. What a guy. That was yeah, great. Can,
2: he's uh he's on our show, our T V show all the time, and um he's all over the network. Uh, just a uh, just a great human. Um I that's the is that the end of the podcast? I can I can we
0: can we do what we wanted to do their stuff can we call jim pearl call jim yeah I'll okay let's it, right it very quickly just a quick call and then we'll wrap it up here we'll wrap up the uh the old
2: that was a, a great combo i, I really enjoyed because we had only touched upon Pelly Lindbergh on our tv show and that we uh, got to discuss it. that's one of the things i remember getting home from church on the sunday and the radio was on and i heard it on the radio and i was just like what the f-?
0: yeah it was crazy he was you know he was only 26, so you think of all these goalies who usually peak in their 30s, all and these he had great goalies. the classic goalies,
2: mask, the that's white, how
0: you knew him. The white mask. I always called it the Mike Leut mask because I was the first guy somewhere in that mask. But yeah, it was uh, such a tragedy. But can you imagine being 20, Dave at 26, having a deliver that eulogy that you wrote at 3 a.m. the
2: night before. Having to identify the body. Oh, my. God. Knowing you j- you're you the one of the last people to see him alive. Incredible. Then you've got to go out and play a couple nights later. Yeah, it's... Uh,
0: yeah, it's... Uh, he's such an amazing guy. Obviously, um, there- you can tell how intelligent he is and, and uh, must have... The, the fact that he played in the era he did is, and was successful, being the kind of person he is, yeah. is pretty remarkable. Because a lot of on that. That's what I mean. Like, if he plays in this era, right, where Mm -hmm. the the Mitch Marners of the world are able to play in the Johnny Goudreaux that... Those guys aren't surviving in in, uh, 1980s NHL, I don't
2: think. But I... Pooley and those guys, they had more fun because they got to go out and do things yes, like that. And now have social media. Nowadays, people are like, oh, look, he's at the yeah. bar. I'm going to take a camera photo.
0: I'll tell you who's going to be taking... Uh, people are going to be taking some camera photos in uh, Amsterdam of uh, you and our friend who's on the line. We're late to get to him. It's our good friend, well, Mr. Jim Pearl.
2: Jim, you don't even... Are you going to bring a cell phone? Because you don't have a cell phone.
1: I don't. Are you going to bring... Actually, you came up yesterday. Okay. With Sarah, my wife... She wanted me to to um, figure out how am I going to call her, because she thought, "Well, the hotel is just too expensive, right?" Right, oh, it is. I looked into it. It's it's, it's not good. It's not. The, <laughs> you know, I have to buy a phone and then buy SIM cards, which I don't even know what they are. <laughs> so no, that's not going to happen. I just told her, you know, just you use know, Dan's phone. And they don't call. Just huh?
2: say I'll write a letter.
1: Exactly, a <laughs> postcard.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're going well, to be sending all- postcards. It'll be great. right so you, I'm looking forward to it. It's gonna, this is amazing, so this is Jim.
1: I like nice to hear Dan's voice yesterday. I like, hey, this is Dan and Jay.
2: Yeah, well, That's again, exciting. you know how my cell phone is. So I was talking to Jim. He's like, I heard uh, one word of that sentence. So I'm just like, uh, "Yeah." let's try this another you time. You know, I
1: talk to my people, Dan. Dan, I talk to my people. The can's okay. It's the string. Uh, the okay. We'll get it figured out.
0: So, Jim, are you aware that Dan, maybe you're not aware of this, Dan is good for one museum a day. And to be honest, maybe half a museum. (laughs) And to be honest, just the guard dog at the museum. He wants to make friends with him and just hang with him the whole time.
1: (laughs) Uh, Where uh,
0: uh, where do you stand? Yeah, he would probably be fine fine with that. I'm fine with that. But his his lady yeah, friend would sure like I'm to right go the into the museum. Like, will, will you go in with her?
2: Yeah. <laughs>
1: Jim's on my <laughs> side. there's a coffee bar. Well, that door sure there's a coffee house. Oh yeah, there will be. Yeah.
0: I, I mean, uh, now have you been to Amsterdam before, Jim? Me
1: no. I've never been to Europe. Oh my! This God. is a first for me. I'm actually. Um, I don't know if Dan knows. It. So I'm going to go to London and spend four or five days there, and then a few days in Edinburgh, and then from Edinburgh to Amsterdam and meet up with Mr. O'Dool. Fantastic. That's the deal. Fantastic trips.
0: Cool? I oh. love that plan. Um, Jim, yeah. any thought? Where do, where do you? How do you feel about uh, polygamy? Um, thoughts on just some crazy, you know, you guys share some crazy uh, hallucinogens. One thing leads to another. And suddenly you find yourself in a a, a triad with right. Uh,
1: well, usually you find yourself in a, in a in a kind of a seedy neighborhood smoking hash with the <laughs> brother of the girl you want to bang. Right.
0: Right. That's right. Usually how it works. Out. Yeah. Now that's usually so, the way it works. Out. But th- in this case, you're going to end yeah. up in bed with Dan and his lady friend. Um, are you prepared <laughs> for this kind of thing? Uh,
1: it, it would have to be a. Quite an experience to get to that end, I would say. I mean, yes, I think hallucinogenics would be involved in that. Somehow, you know, yeah. I, just, I, I, don't, I really don't see that. But I, I just... more of a, you know, uh, what is it, a Van Gogh museum for like an hour? And then you yeah. want
2: to go on the riverboat cruise?
1: Yeah. Well, I don't. Sarah was yelling at me at that time. <laughs> <laughs> don't bring it at the riverboat cruise! <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> oh, okay. So I got that going on one ear, and I got your phone on the other ear. So that's, yeah, that's, see, that's, the, that was my case.
2: My problem with a riverboat cruise is once you're on a boat, you're stuck on a boat. But you're to, like what? It,
0: there's these little, t- kind of smaller boats where you eat, have some wine, and you go at night. It's maybe an hour just to tour through the canals of Amsterdam. That's okay, what you okay. Do. If just got, do that
2: if they've got booze and yeah. food. Yeah, yeah. Don't,
0: yeah you just want to do a little yeah. canal cruise. You don't want to do like the full on. Yeah. Forget the riverboat. That's like no. Let's be honest. Okay. You guys are going to the bulldog the second you get off the train, and you're probably never leaving. And
2: there. we'll get a picture of uh, a windmill. <laughs>
1: there's a windmill that's what I right actually that's what I thought was going to happen you know <laughs> and and then and then there seems to be more involved you know you probably find me at the bulldog yeah,
0: yeah i think and though the van gogh is or pretty
1: place nice. closer. i don't know
0: yeah um, jim this has been a name? pleasure we so i guess the th- the thing i wonder is when you guys go to amsterdam because uh, Dan will have the social media handled. There almost should be a separate social media <laughs> account created just for this three-day trip that you guys take together uh, because they're gonna, there's going to be so much demand. I'll,
1: I'll Dan's in charge of
0: that. Yeah, we'll
2: document That's it on
0: the, my Instagram stories.
1: That. Oh, my gosh. Yeah.
2: Go us looking at, uh, standing looking at art, <laughs> us quickly leaving. <laughs> It'll be good. Okay, well, I can't wait. As I said uh, yesterday when you couldn't really hear me, or actually on Saturday, I will call you from a good landline, and um, we will uh, connect and discuss our plans before the actual trip in July.
1: Okay, that sounds great. Um, Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Actually, I played golf with a guy today who's from London. Hey, you know, you you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was like a, a elderly uh, uh, Monty guy, you know, like the the, the, the golfer guy.
0: Oh yeah. Know, you know, oh, Colin me. Montgomery. He looks
1: like him. Colin. Yeah, that's it. Oh yeah, no. So there.
0: so you need to. An eighty-year-old,
1: eighty-five-year-old,
0: huh? So did you, you say, go? hey, I'm I'm coming over to London in a uh, a couple of months? Uh, maybe I stay with you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: He's got a sister over there. I was working on that. You know? <laughs> he still he lives here now. It he didn't go that. You know, it was going good, and I started getting to the sister thing, and he stopped talking to me. Uh, <laughs> I'm about to go right <laughs> <full laughs> on. You, know? you do. Could, you,
0: could, you know. Uh, it's so, always great to talk to you, Jim. How Pearl. My day?
2: Thanks, Jim, and uh, all yeah, right. all, so, uh, it's
1: nice hearing you guys. Nice hearing your voice, Jay and Dan.
2: It's great hearing yours uh, as well, Jim, and I'll talk to you before the trip.
1: Okay, buddy. Uh, We're good. I think as far as dates, right? Oh yeah, we're we're bang on.
2: Somehow, somehow, you and I figured it out. It, it's. uh, I can't (laughs) wrap my head around it, but we did. (laughs) Okay, great, great. Okay, cool.
1: Okay. All right. Thanks, Jim Jim.
2: Pearl. Again, if you don't know his backstory, he uh, used to work with us at Fox. Uh, He uh, retired during our run there, and uh, we've remained in touch and. Now we're going to Amsterdam.
0: <laughs> I just love it. He's just... If you go to my Instagram account and look back, I've got some great photos of myself with Jim where I call him the mayor of Los Angeles, and he was the last person uh, I think we had dinner with before we left at the old Chateau Marmont, and they sat us right by the bar. It was really... That's right. We were underneath
2: the bar. <laughs>
0: literally underneath the bar. But uh, anyway, I'm so ex- I'm so jealous that you guys are going together. Wish
2: I could come. Yeah, we still might win the lottery. And we could all go. Uh, money isn't the issue, Dan. It's
0: those kids.
2: Yeah, but then you uh, bring like three nannies to deal with the two kids. I could still
0: get three nannies, Dan. There's just no way my my wife is going to allow me to go to Amsterdam. My wife. No, no, no. But with she... you and Jim Pearl. That's probably not
2: an No, so the... with Jim, it might be And acceptable. the two kids and the three nannies and your wife. And then you get the presidential suite. That doesn't sound too shabby at all. <laughs> oh, think
0: That could be a different trip uh, than ones we've had in the past.
2: Well, thanks for uh, tuning in. Uh, it's been real fun. I got to say, this is,
0: man, Pooley was awesome. He was. You know who's going to be excited about this podcast, Tulsi? Who's that? Producer Tim. Big, oh, yeah, he's a big Pooley guy. Big Pooley guy. He was and calling. If that
2: doesn't turn your crank. <laughs>
0: He was calling him Pooley before he really knew him. Pooley's in tonight. Yeah, Pooley's coming on the show tonight. We're like, who? You... Pooley! Yeah. So, Dave? Yeah, Pooley. Figure it out.
2: <laughs> I'm Tim. Uh, thanks for listening.
1: Bye. They're going home.
2: The Jay and Dan Podcast.